Welcome to the Dixie Polis Podcast. My name's Travis. And this is Luke. We are Southern Men De-Reconstructing the South. Oh, so welcome back. It's uh, We're about a week, just a week. Uh, we have a guest on today, uh, John McAdams, a.k.a. Dark Enlightenment. And uh, we're going to talk about bringing us back to the polis. Uh, enough with these spread out, sprawling subdivisions and um, back to the way we were intended to live, unity and in harmony with other people like us. So welcome, uh, John. Well, thank you all for having me, and I appreciate it. I enjoy your program. Um, I appreciate it. Some of y'all might have heard me before on different stuff. Uh, I'm here mostly to talk about just, just how our ancestors lived and used land and how the way we do things now is just so bass backwards that um, it just it causes people um, cost people a lot of money, costs people a lot of time. It it uh, doesn't lead to human flourishing. It's it's just it's just bad all around, and uh, it's it leads to a great deal of unhappiness in the world. And uh, I just wish that would all I've ever advocated for is for living a different way, the, the way we used to live. And that would um just save us money and increase the happiness in the world. So I'm here to talk about that. Thank you all for having me. And, and I, I, not only do I enjoy your program, but the, the, the name is very appropriate. You know, um, if, if you think about it, um, depending on where you lived in Dixie, right? Um, every you know, people tend to think of these plantation houses as homes for for the family or the Randolphs, the you know the Lees, right? But that's not quite how it worked. Those, in fact, they were villages unto themselves. Really, you know, there was you know the cook had a family, and you know, not only were there was there the help and and all that, but but every single person on there lived with their families in these in these you know they, they were a village under themselves with with a big house as the focus of the village but you think about a a, a small southern town in 1925 right um you know you'd have a, a baptist church in the middle of town, you'd have a Methodist church in the middle of town. Maybe you'd have a Presbyterian church in the middle of town and maybe the courthouse on a square, right? And so you'd have your three churches and then your courthouse and then be a big square in the middle. And, you know, the 9 a.m. service would get out on a Sunday and all the Baptists would get out of church and they'd talk to the Presbyterians. You'd talk to the Methodists and uh, they could chew the fat and talk about, you know, corn prices or they could talk about oh well you know uh so and so is running for the state house and i'm not entirely sure i like that fella he's you know he's one of them uh reconstructed fellas and you could actually just by the way you lived you'd actually build community and um uh, generally improve your lives right how many times has it happened to you that um, you were just talking to somebody after church and so-and-so mentioned, oh, well, my cousin is uh, coming to town and he's a plumber. 
And you're like, well, shoot. I need somebody to fix my, you know, downstairs bathroom. Right? That used to happen all the time. People used to have that kind of encounter every day because they walked most places. You know, one of the reasons everyone is skinnier in Europe than they are here is in Europe, they don't, uh, they don't drive everywhere. So if you live in a, an apartment, right, that's uh, on the fourth floor, right, with your family, because the apartments in Europe aren't like here. They're, they're actually meant to be homes for people, right? And it's a walk-up because they don't have elevators. So you walk up and down the stairs. So in the morning, you walk down the stairs, you get a little bit of exercise. You walk a quarter mile to the train station, get on the train. You get off the train station. You walk the quarter mile to your office get some work done lunchtime you get back on the train you get another quarter mile to the train station quarter mile to the house you eat lunch at home you do the same and then at the end of the day you do the same back well you just made four trips a half you walk two miles just going back and forth to work that's that's a city person that's not a country person you know so and and did you know Four flights of stairs several times. So the way we live spatially in space, in time, you know, getting out of our house, into the car, driving the car, going to the parking lot, going to the, you know, going to work, you know, uh, are, it, it's a, a strange and destructive way to live. And it, it uh, also is very bad for Southern people and for conservative people. And I'm uh, happy to entertain questions and what what have you. But but it, it, in general, it's just bad. All right. So the, there's a book that you recommended. Uh, I haven't I haven't finished it, but I've started it. So the, the, the book is A Pattern Language by Christopher Alexander. Um, and so I'm I think I'm probably about a quarter of the way into the book. Um. But there's a lot of, you know, some just straightforward, sensible things to talk about, right? So you have one of the points that he was he's mentioning, uh, just just a, a a quick overview for the book. You know, the a pattern um, language. What he's talking about in the book, from my understanding so far, is a series of general concepts that can be used as a way to either build you know he he gives an example in the very beginning of the book where he built a, a porch off the, the back of his house uh, but it can scale all the way up to an entire town village that's right so he's got you know a series of statements like the distribution of towns agricultural valleys country towns scattered work local transport areas, subculture boundary, neighborhood boundary, etc. And there's 250... Yeah, oh, it's, a, it's a wonderful book. I, I would strongly urge the listeners to pick it up and read it. Uh, Mr. Alexander was quite popular back, oh, about a decade or so ago with the neo-reactionary movement because what he did is he observed the world and then found the commonalities. Um, and we'll talk about this later, but 
rather than imposing an intellectual model on the world. Right. Um, so it's it's a you look at right. It, it, it's it's an intellectual. Um, it, it's an intellectual exercise, but it but it's derived rather from the world rather than imposed on the world, and that's where that's where the difference is. is he's looking at nature. So if you if you think about it, you, you've got a few different modes of living, right? Uh, the most basic, like, is the camp, right? And camps are almost all men. Any women that are there are most likely prostitutes, right? So the army camp or a mining camp or a logging camp, right? It's just the guys being fellas, right? So you, you'll read about the war between the states and what camps were like. Now, those those can be great places, man, when you get you're with your bros and get a little bit of shine and someone's playing, um, you know, Bonnie blue flag or something, but that's not any kind of place to build a community, right? There's no families at the camp. There might be some loose women, some women of ill repute, but that doesn't build camp is a, that doesn't build culture. Right. That's right. Well, and and it's for a specific purpose, right? Well, like we are here to log this section of, you know, or mine this particular mine, mm-hmm. right? And then there's then you've got a village, which is the next step up. And the the primary purpose of a village, whether it's a fishing village or a little farming village, is a resource extraction. And that's where you start to see a community, because villages have families in them. And it's usually Dunbar's number of families are lower. Do you all know the the concept of Dunbar's number, or do I need to talk about that? Um, I, I don't, but also for the reader, for the listeners, I'd rather explain. Okay. Um, I forget who, but a sociologist named Dunbar. So, so when you think about it, right, like your church, you, you can really know about 150 people. There's a reason that the size of the infantry company has stayed about this size, and those are the number of people you can really know. You can care about them. You can rem- you can remember their birthday. You can remember, oh, he's got three sisters and a younger brother, and his wife is this, right? And he's got four kids. You can know that person. So that Dunbar's number of families, where you might not like them, but you know all of them, right? That's the Jones family down the street. Susie's the oldest, and then little Timmy, then Johnny, then Billy. And then they had another little girl, Lucy. Right? Right. And you can know the Jones family. And you can know, oh, his his father was uh, uh, from South Carolina, and uh, his mama was from North Florida, and they met going to, you know, school in Savannah and they love Georgia so much they decided to stay. Right. But you can know that family. And at the village level, and then you get a town, right? And um, Alexander kind of talks about this. There's a kind of a, a pattern that emerges from nature where instead of uh, like a grid or anything, it's more like a spoke and a wheel type arrangement. Mm-hmm. And obviously, um, uh, the hand of the creators over this stuff. So um, 
uh, a city is started at like a port, right? A, a major port like Charleston or uh, Baltimore or New Orleans, right? Good, good Southern examples of cities that arose because they were ports. But what'll happen, right, is that uh, that town will be like at a spot on the river or a spot on the creek where there's a good, um, nice steep spot for a mill, right? And so, like spokes in a wheel, villages around that town, they'll all send their, you know, those villages are all farming villages, right? And they'll send their uh, grain into the town, you know, a mill town, to get milled. And the village might have like a blacksmith and a brewer and some of this stuff, but if you want, you know, the fancy dry goods store or something, something beyond just pure barter, right? You're going to have to go into town to get it, right? And if you want something, some really, really fancy, you're going to have to go down the river to the nearest city, you know, that probably collects grain and other stuff from, you know, four or five villages along a, say, a stretch of river. And there you're going to have the, you know, the more manufacturing stuff. And, you know, your banks and stuff are going to be that sort of place. And uh, if there's a college or a university or a seminary, that's where it's going to be is in the city. Right. And then all that, you know, those, say there's six towns, right? There's So all the agricultural product from those 36 villages are going to go to this town or to this, this city. And from there, they're going to be shipped out somewhere else. Right, this organic level of, and then you know, and then maybe you got a, a decent sized city, like say Baton Rouge is a big size, a decent sized city, but it's not anything compared to New Orleans, right? So, sure, there's a, a dozen, two dozen, three dozen, four dozen, you know, a hundred villages and towns all along. The old muddy there, but everything drains literally into New Orleans, right? And from there, it goes out into the world. So you get a like a, a big capital city that goes, and you know the, the the great universities are in places like New Orleans or Charleston, right? College Charleston, one of the oldest colleges in in uh, or uni universities in in the United States of America, of the Citadel, you know, places like this in the South, right? That, that that go out and are the kind of the public facing city to the world of a particular region or a particular place. And you see this pattern not only in the more organic parts of Dixie, because um Dixie wasn't under uh the public land system the way uh, um, a lot of the Midwest, uh, a lot of Dixie wasn't under the public land system the way uh, 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 the Midwest and the Western United States was. But that same pattern, you see it from Lisbon, like all the way to Kazakhstan. It's an, it's an Indo-European type thing, even in parts of India, right? Like wherever the 
white man or his ancestors went, we saw this same pattern all over the world. Right. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like nodes in a, in, a, in a series of hierarchies. Pretty much. Where you're you're you know you've got your your site specific camps. You have your um, kind of raw material extraction villages. Uh, you've got your towns, which are more like community centers, and then you've got your cities, which are uh, uh, large scale um, economic centers. Right. And then your yeah. capitals are kind of the, um, you know, kind of like the representative of the whole organic unit. Yeah, very much. Uh, and this so, and this actually kind of mirrors the um, the city state idea that we saw in Greece and in that's right the Middle East. Uh, when, when we when you hear about you know for instance you're in the scriptures or you're in history and you hear about uh, the the Babylonians or you hear about the uh, Akkadians or you hear about the Medeans like those were named after cities and they had other cities that were basically like servant cities to that larger city, but that capital city was the face of the whole empire, and so the, the empires are named after that capital. Right, right, right. So, um, in Dixie, right, um, only Alabama, Mississippi, Arkansas, Louisiana, Florida, Missouri, and Oklahoma are using that public land service system. So you have this more organic development in the Carolinas, in Georgia, in Tennessee, in Kentucky, in Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, to um, in Texas. That that fractal iterative process of, you know, Houston, for all that it's a, an abomination before the Lord right now, it's terrible what it's become. But if you were just looking at a map and Texas was, you know, if you bird's eye view of God, right? God intended there for there to be a city where tech, where, where Houston is at. Did, did God want Houston to be what it is now? I, I don't think so. But I, I think that, that generally, you know, like, <laughs> you know, right. So, you know, Charleston, South Carolina, God wanted a city there, right? There's two rivers. It's, it's beautiful. You know, you got this perfect spot for something. You know, Baltimore, God wanted a city there. Did he want the way Baltimore is now? Of course not. Probably no. not, no. No one. <laughs> no one nobody. <laughs> Baltimore is pretty bad, man. But even Satan's probably looking at Baltimore going, man. <laughs> uh, Detroit. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so it, it, you're very much right to um to talk about you know the, the Bible and and ancient empires and the, the you know the Greeks, right? You know. Sparta wasn't just Sparta. Athens wasn't just the city of Athens. There, there, there were hinterlands. There were, there were small villages 
that considered themselves they were Athenians, right? They just weren't in the big city of Athens, right. but they considered themselves Athenians. They were considered Athenians. You know, there were farmers who were Athenians. There were there were, you know, there were Thebans who lived on farms, but you know, they were their loyalty was to their city, right? And you think about it, right? Like uh, if uh, you, know, you you got a young man who's very bright from a little rural uh, little farming village, right? Where does he go? He goes to the big city. You know, uh, same thing happened to Alexander Hamilton, whatever you might think of him as uh, some of his policies. I'm, I'm not, the, not the biggest fan myself, but nevertheless, <laughs> right? Um, you know, you, you can look at the guy and go, well, you know, it, it's it's fitting and just that, you know, a young man of, of his obvious abilities should be given a chance, right? And so, you know, the history of the South is, you know, so-and-so, you know, was a, a, you know, farmer's son, and then he had a chance to go go to the big city and go do something. And, you know, and go to go to seminaries and go to college and, and you know, and the South did a wonderful job, particularly the Presbyterians, I believe, of of creating opportunities in, in you know, small colleges and that sort of thing uh, all over the South in Appalachia to to educate educate the people. But, um, you know. The. Um, this way of living. This organic way of living was basically unchanged until the late 19th century, maybe, and you could make a good case even until the the middle 20th century. You know, because the train really, it, it made certain things cheaper. It made certain kind of transportation faster. There's a there's a combination. But, oh, go ahead. But, uh, but it it still kind of kept that organic because of the nature of auto uh, because of the nature of trains because they have to basically follow uh, a particular grade all through. Uh, they got to stay level and that sort of thing. They almost kind of got to flow with the land a little bit, um, and. Um, that same respect for uh, the natural order almost, I mean, you, there, there are major changes, you know, in the 19th century due to, due to trains, but you could still see that organic nature of it. And it wasn't until the 20th century with the, the invention of the automobile and the suburb, the automobile-based suburb, that things really exploded and that people stopped living and going to church and working in roughly the same spot. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't really until the 20th century that that happened. There's a couple of things that kind of meld together here. So I, I kind of want to rewind a bit because, I mean, thus far we've been talking about mechanics, right? Like how, how does things, how do you, how do things function? How does society function uh, from a bottom up kind of deal? And I, I look at this book that you recommended as kind of a um uh an a, an attempt at 
the wisdom of community building from a technical aspect. Um, if I, I don't, I don't know how much you would want to push back against that, but that's kind of how I'm seeing it. I would, I would say that, yeah, that's that's a fair. I'd say that's a, a fair description, actually. Okay, okay. so uh, we we've talked about this over several podcasts, and um, you know, I'm I'm a big advocate for <clears throat> uh, the centrality of. Christ in all that we do, and you know, by and large, that's, Amen. That's been yeah. That, that, I mean, that's been symbolized traditionally by having the church and the town square at the center of everything, right? So you have God, this towering church, over the town square, where Christ is presiding from the church over the 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 place where people gather to speak about the goings-on of the community. Amen. Well, a couple other things real quick. In in a traditional, right, a courthouse would be, well, that's the law. Right. And, and he, he himself is the law. He wrote those laws. Yeah. He wrote them on your heart. Every, if, if one of those laws, thank the Lord that the Supreme Court, I'm not, a, a big fan, but th- we're recording this in early May of 2022. If if the if the United States Supreme Court strikes down that evil, wicked, satanic decision Roe v. Wade, uh, it, it's 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 the divine law they're following. So the, the courthouse is almost a, is a temple of God and His laws. Yes, and yeah. and not only that, and and not only that. But that that town, these laws that we're talking about, small L laws of of place building. Uh, I'm 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 a Catholic, so um, I'm going to use some Catholic terms here. E. Michael Jones has a book, Logos, you know, um, in in the Gospel of John. Need to in read Hawkeye more of him. Right in 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 Hawkeye and a Logos. So Logos is it like a. A Greek term that I uh, I don't speak Greek. I'm an uneducated barbarian, but um, <laughs> from what I understand, right, it, it means the nature of reality. Like like Christ is the logos. He is not only not only our Lord, but He is also the the, the understanding, the ultimate truth. Right. He is the way, the truth, and the life, as as the scriptures tell us. Right. And uh, so I, I just I just want so, to inter- so, interject this real quick because it, it it's. That Christ is the substrate of reality itself, and yes. he is that standard by which, without such, without said standard, reality itself is unintelligible. So he is both Amen. that Amen. with which which sub, that which generates and maintains all things, and that through which all things is understood. All things are. Understood. Amen. Amen. So, so I'm just going to use a couple quick examples. So. Uh, our Lord was a carpenter, mm. right? And his his father, stepfather, was also a carpenter, and he was called righteous. There's only what, like four or five people in the entire scriptures that are called righteous, right? So, sometime when he was fifteen, sixteen, seventeen years old, he built a table. 
under the supervision of his of his father, who was one of the greatest men who ever existed, uh, who was chosen for that test specifically by God. Right, and that was the best table that's ever been built anywhere. It was perfect because he built it. Amen. Yeah. Oh Amen. yeah. Right, and so every other table that you know, like t- 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 this is the Platonic ideal of a table, right? And this, every other table is kind of kind of be an imitation of this this table that was built by our Lord, and so in in the same way that the church does need to be the center of town, the church, you know, he is the 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 measure of by which we should measure everything, and that and his scriptures are the the book that we need to you know, base things on that following the natural law in the way we build and the way we live is equally. I mean, it's not the same thing as going to church, but you still disobey God when you don't, when you don't, when you don't follow those rules that are set out by nature and nature's God. If, 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 if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. So I look at, um, you know the 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 proverbs and ecclesiastes and um you know it took me a little while to wrap my head around ecclesiastes cuz it seems like a very negative book um but you know the 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 author of ecclesiastes is talking about um he he's so so let me back up just a little bit proverbs is giving wisdom like wisdom as such right and it's both personifying wisdom in uh, the woman who goes out into the town square, keeps the the, the town entrance and and whatnot, and and the, the the wife, the dutiful wife, like in Proverbs thirty one, right? This idyllic woman is kind of the platonic ideal of the woman, if you want to think about it that way. And then Ecclesiastes kind of sets that into perspective, because you have all of this temporal wisdom which I like to call it lesser wisdom. You have all this lesser wisdom. But Ecclesiastes puts all this lesser wisdom into its perspective. So uh, Proverbs opens with, uh, listen, my son, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And Ecclesiastes Mm -hmm. ends with, look at all that I've done and put it in context with live a simple life and realize that the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. So it's 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 kind of like putting those two books back to back kind of gives you a total picture. You have the lesser wisdom, and then Ecclesiastes is putting everything in the context of the higher wisdom. So kind of right. translating this to what you're saying, um, there's a pattern to how we are supposed to do things, and it can be understood from the bottom up, right? Because we, we're looking at what is. Um, kind of like right, uh, correct. Um, uh, I I can't remember who who it was. It was one of the Stoics. He said, "I, I it, it, disregard all opinion and only look at what is." Um, right. And it's it's that from the bottom up, but then you also have to put it in the context of, uh, and this goes more to what we've what you know Travis and I have talked with about in the past, where and we just got done talking about centering your entire community um, around Christ, baptizing 
the community in Christ so that we would honor Christ through how we live. Amen. So a, a couple things. I don't disagree with anything you just said. You, you put it better than I could have in a couple couple places. I'm saying that God made men to do, right? He made yeah. men to go work. It's in the scriptures. He made, made women to have children. He made us to, to collectively as humanity to, to honor him, right? And um, there are people who are good people, holy people, saints even, who live in wicked cities. Look at Lot and Sodom, you know. But the way we live and how we live and where we live can either make that better or make that worse. Right. Right. You know, there, there are probably people, um, you know, who, if they lived in Jerusalem in the time of, you know, in a time of particular righteousness in Israel versus living in Sodom, they might have gotten saved, but they but they decided to go with the flow in the crowd and and act as as evil people act, right? And and a, and a lot of people, right? They just kind of go with the crowd. So if everything in your town is built, you know, if there's nowhere in your town where you can't see that cross up on that steeple, that's going to do something to your town, right? And I think that's why a lot of people are fleeing out to the countryside um, or this, God forbid, the subdivisions, right? I mean, it's because the cities are cities are crap. Um, I, I can't find, other than the New Jerusalem, I can't find in Scripture anywhere that says cities are a good thing. Um, no, but, no, of course not. And they are wicked, our, our modern cities. Uh, but they're wicked because we're we're wicked, and we've abandoned and, Christ. I mean, we've we've turned our back. Amen. On him. Yes, we have. Well, we turned our back on Him. We turned our back on His law. We turned our back on the whole whole nine yards. And I, I think that what we need to, um, you know, every every man stands before the judgment seat on his own. But we need to build in such a way that it's not so easy for people to ruin their lives. And I'll give you an example. Um, the modern suburb, right, where uh, at 6 o'clock all the cars are in the driveway and by 9.30 they're empty. Right? You got an entire street where there's literally nobody home. Right? That's just weird, in my opinion. Well, it is weird, but 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 think about it. Could you design a better way for someone to violate "Thou shalt not commit adultery," or "Thou shalt not steal," for that matter, or "Thou shalt not steal"? Yeah. I mean, you really could come up with a better way to do it. And I'm not, you know, and anyone who does those things is responsible for those things before the judgment seat of the Lord. But we shouldn't make it easy for people. We shouldn't passively encourage it by the way we live. And 
one of the problems with the with the suburb is how do you know your neighbors right how do you know the people from the next cul-de-sac over how do you you know is there a church y'all can walk to on a sunday you know beautiful spring day in dixie about you know 65 70 degrees at uh say eight o'clock on a sunday morning you got up a little early maybe has had some breakfast head off to the early service at 9 30 not too hot yet beautiful spring day everyone's wearing their sunday best and you head off and you see your neighbors and maybe maybe your neighbor smith is like oh they're the joneses headed off the church Shoot, honey, instead of watching football, we should get the kids. There's still 15 minutes till service starts. Get everyone, get, get your shoes on. Get your church shoes. We're going to church. You're right. We should go to church. Well, maybe you ain't feeling it the next day. And, you know, you see the Jones family. They're they're all dressed up in their Sunday best, and they're walking to church. You're like, oh, well, you know, I'd rather watch the Falcons. I'd rather watch the Cowboys. But... We should be headed to church. The different level of uh, accountability when there's right. proximity well, amongst the people. Well, there's proximity, and and not only you know certain you know evils are prevented, but uh, the great James Howard Kunstler put it this way um, in his wonderful. I can't remember if it was in a Geography of Nowhere or um, a Home from Nowhere, but Suburbs are named after that which they destroy. Mm. So somewhere outside of Atlanta, there's a place called like Pine Grove Estates or something, right? Because there was a wonderful Georgia pine that just filled this little valley. Some Yankee developer came down and said, I got to cut all that down, turn it into cheap plasterboard. Sell these houses and we'll call it Pine Grove Estates. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And they did it. Right? And that Pine Grove Estates, just a theoretical example here. Let's say there's a, a thousand houses in this Pine Grove Estates. And let's say that in those thousand houses, their property taxes are $1,000 a year, right, to the county. So 1,000 times 1,000 is a million dollars, right? My math right there? It sounds right. I got to take my shoes off to figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, 1,000, thousands, yeah. All right, so we got a million dollars a year for this, uh, uh, this, Pine Grove, theoretical Pine Grove Estates. Beautiful Northeast Georgia Pines. Well, in that thousand, you know, thousand houses, right? They got to have a school. You know, so the school is going to cost half a million dollars to build. And then you're going to have to have 20 teachers at, you know, $50,000 a year. uh, Right. Or, you know, $30,000 a year or whatever. And you're probably going to need a new fire station, right? 
thousand houses. That's going to cost him, you know, a lot of kindling, a million bucks. Yeah, it's a lot of kindling, right? So you know, you know, that's going to cost money, and the streets are going to cost money, and you know, the sewers are going to cost money. And so what happens is the day-to-day running of all of that uh, you know uh, the school the build, pave, keeping the roads paved keeping the storm drains you know clear to all everything you need to do to run this place Pine Grove Estates right it costs you $950,000 okay we think, oh, hey, cool, we're making extra money. We are, we are, we are in the black, fifty thousand dollars. That is fantastic. Okay, you're not in the well, black. <laughs> I can tell not, you right you're now. Not in the black. Yeah, I can already tell All you right. right now. I, I, I'm, I'm in. You know these construction fields. I already know, like it. You're 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 going to be way in the red from now. I promise you. Uh, you are, and and here's here's how. Okay. Well, redoing this whole, you know, every twenty years or so, you're going to have to redo. You know, oh well, the pipes wore out. We got to replace them. We got to rip up the whole street, and, uh, it's going to cost and and repave it in the whole nine yards, right? Um, so, uh, and we're, it, the stuff just plumb wears out at, you know, 20 years. So, okay, well, and how much does that cost? That costs $900,000. Say, so, all right, well, it wears out at 20 years and $900,000, $50,000 a year, you know, we'll have a little bit extra money. But everything wears out in 15. So your payment, right? So everything's worn out and needs to be replaced for $900,000, and you've only got $700. Well, it it gets even more than that. So, and well, I mean, just for for, for ease of math here, and I'll be happy to, interested in hearing your take. So, in order to cover all these costs, right? Well, you know, the city of Pine Grove Estates has the ability to issue municipal bonds and because their municipal bonds are tax advantaged according to federal government, right? They're cheap money. So they, you know, they're only paying a couple percent. They, you know, put up bonds to cover the cover the shortfall and they'll make it up on the volume. You know, they'll make it up eventually. But you do that two and three and four cycles and all of a sudden you're just dead broke. And that's where we're at now. And then nobody in a subdivision actually wants to fork out more money to to live there, right? And and go ahead, sir. It, there's an amplifying effect here, though. And and again, I mean, this is like I'm in this industry. I I know I know what's going on. I'm in it at a, at a fairly high level. Um, you know, so what you're going to have is you're going to have uh, the sewer system and the storm system. Uh, when there's another subdivision built next to your subdivision, you have to upgrade both. Uh, and, and so it's not the 15 years cause it doesn't take 15 years for another subdivision to be made. 
um, your your storm system is probably you know built for a twenty or fifty year storm, right? And when you upgrade and you have more a, a, a higher density of population in the area because there's another subdivision right next to you, you have to upgrade your storm system. So instead of using smaller diameter storm pipe, for instance, and 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 having some structures to go along with that. Now you have to redesign the whole thing to fit around, you know, if you have a 20-year, you're probably going to have to upgrade to a 50, 70, or 100-year system. Then you have to coordinate the two systems to work together and find an outfall that you can throw it out to. So not only are we talking about the installation and all that other stuff, you're talking about design elements, you're talking about both communities have to cooperate and coordinate with their storm systems to make them compatible. Because... It, otherwise, you're going to be throwing water on top of one another. So it, it's not That's a right. it's not a fifteen fifteen year wait time. It's more like a five to ten year wait time. And so you're yeah, having Lord, to, Lord Lord forbid that uh, you have a tornado or something go drastically wrong. Right? Yeah, and then yeah. and then all of a sudden you got to rebuild and and in fact it's to the point now where in a typical you know housing only type suburb with you know it's just use the hypothetical example if we got you know pine grove estates and then uh shady peach shady peach acres right mm-hmm. right so we got these two adjacent communities and shady peach acres gets put in you know three and a half years after uh you know after uh the pines estates or you know pine acres or you know <laughs> i'm getting all confused because they're all just so interchangeable right yeah um but, but um and then of course you know the, the next you know you know granite hills estates right like you know then chestnut hills you know f- f- right yeah exactly just boom 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 they all uh get you know these awful names and they all get built on top of each other and then you got a tornado at about year 15 and then you know the insurance companies just wiped out right and the municipality's in trouble and it's now to the point where if i told you like okay uh chestnut hills granite hills peach trees and pine groves y'all we we got to expand the high school because more kids came through and, and, you know, Granite Hills estates that, you know, it was just the two subdivisions or three subdivisions we could cram, but now we need a new high school. Y'all come on down to the gymnasium. We're going to talk. If I told the people at this theoretical meeting, you know, year 15 of, of, uh, uh, you know, shady pines estates. Okay. Y'all <coughs> pardon me. Um, in order to balance municipal finances, um, the private contribution from people in this community needs to quintuple, right? Your property taxes need to go up four times to balance the books. Most people will be like, what are you talking about, right? 
And a lot of people would just be like, screw this, I'm leaving. But, you know, like, yeah. okay, so that's next year. So if I, if I sell my house before January, you know, before December 31st, I don't know these taxes. All right, screw this, we're leaving, right? They'd be gone. Yeah, exactly. Their bye. property taxes. We're, See you we're, later. Bye. Bye. Right. Well, it's actually more like, you, you know, 20 times the, the amount of private investment needed to, to balance the books between private and municipal because of how this same little shortfall um, that, you know, adds up slowly mm-hmm. has, has accumulated in all these places. And the reason it does this, right, because go back to the Bible for just a second. The home and the business were the same place. Our Lord lived in his father's workshop. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's they, they, that's that's as ancient as man. <laughs> right. So you know, living above the store is the normal thing, right? So we have these, this you know the the normal thing, right? In a small southern town, is you know in the city there might be a shop, but there's some apartments over the shop. Right, maybe maybe the manager, maybe the owner lives in a big house out, a big plantation house, but the manager lives above the store. And maybe there's an apartment for, you know, maybe there's a small place for a, a single member of the, of the of the staff or something. But the baker lives at the bakery, or right next to it. And usually, so, like you're saying, it's above it. You know his his oven that he cooks his his meal in every night, the same one he uses to cook your bread. Right. Or uses the same heater or something. Yeah. Right. So so the these communities, these four hypothetical suburbs, with their school separated from the housing, separated from the where people work. They're just a, a resource sink. They don't generate anything. There's no no one's doing. You know, maybe now from you know the work from home. Uh, are y'all on YouTube? Um, not yet. Yeah, not yet. Okay, well, 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 let's just say the, the unspecified virus of unspecified origin might have had a had a change where people can work from home, and 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 that might be a, a way to kind of rebalance things. But if you think about it, three years ago. Right, people's homes were just a, a a gigantic sink. They just spent money on. They didn't do anything in them that actually returned anything to them. Yeah, right? They they just wanted it to be pretty without any kind of function. Right. Well, and and there's there's no capital there, and so this idea that like you know a a home uh, is worth half a million dollars because it's got like high counter. Uh, you know, granite countertops and really nice ceilings, and it's in the right county. That, that's crazy. It's it's that's 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 completely made up. Just because it's in, you know, uh, to use the Georgia example again, just because it's not right in Fulton County doesn't mean, you know, like you can take the same house, right, and put it in a nice part of Atlanta, 
and it's worth half a million dollars or a million dollars. And you put it in the wrong neighborhood and it's worth $10,000. Right? Yeah. So, so it, it, or this, you know, same thing in Memphis or Jacksonville or anything, right? So this is all just made up because there's no value being generated in any one of these places. You know, a farm actually, like, people do stuff on the farm to make money. So it's a valuable place to, like, the back 40 is, like, there's crops being produced in that field that people want to sell for money. So there's value in living right next to the field. Yeah, right? that's, uh, that was one of the things that I um, I realized whenever I started the homestead. Uh, and I know we're probably going to get into the homestead thing here shortly. Um, but uh, I realized my home was not an asset because it was not producing anything. It was that's actually right. more of a liability because I was just pouring money into it. That's um, right. But whenever I was like, okay, well, maybe I, you know, I've got X amount of acres, you know, I should actually try to produce something. So, you know, I started a little garden and I started doing a little bit of homestead and stuff. It, it, you know, it's not much. It's not like I have, you know, some type of fruitful business work coming out of my home right now. But it was something that my land could actually do as a passive type of wealth uh, exchange with me. Right. Right, and it, it was a worthwhile thing. So all of these suburbs that have that have car-based, you know, suburbs that separate business and living life and everything else—they're just a—they're just an asset sink. They're not. They're just gigantic liabilities. I think it's a rich dad, poor dad, Robert Kiyosaki, you know, points this out that like your house is a liability unless somehow you make money off of it. Right. And people just, oh, my house, I'm going to retire. I'm going to sell my house and retire. Well, what if, what if there's no, what if there's not another sucker? You know, because, you know, the baby boomers are absolutely 100% dependent on they're not being, like like their house being worth more than they paid for it. Well, and that's well, kind of I, the that, that's kind of the thing. That's... Like, so th- this was a conversation I've had with my dad. I don't know how many times. Um, you know, my dad just sees property as equity, right? It's it's the cash value of the home, and it was a it was a long time ago when I started. Um, kind of pushing back against that idea in our conversations. Um, and since then, I've kind of, I've been more and more validated historically, and uh, you know, you know, spiritually even. In you know, we as as people, human beings, you know, made in the image of God, we were made to set down roots. And if your home is mm-hmm. nothing but a cash value equity. Then you're not setting down roots. You're just That's treating right. the land as a tradable monetary asset, and you're giving away heritage and lineage 
and stability for cash. And, That's and, right. And you're you're losing actual value in getting the cash. Because the higher value well, I'll give you is is in the is in the heritage, it's in the, the, the permanence, it's it's having an established understanding and relationship with the land itself. In, Amen. Yes. In, in cooperation and coordination with your family and church. That's right. Well, that's right. Well, so, so what? Talking with a friend about this. What amount of money is worth going to the same? Let's just say that your granddad helped build a church or your great grandfather. Now your family pew is the third pew on the left side of the church, third from the front. And your great-granddad, when he built that church, his wife, his four sons, and his three daughters filled that pew every Sunday until he died. And his sons, after him, sat in that same pew. Your father, your grandfather, his oldest son, took his aged mother to that church, and his wife and his three sons and his four daughters, they sat in that same pew and they filled it. And your father, his oldest son, took his aged mother once his father had passed, and his three children and his cousins and his brothers, and they filled that same pew. What? What? And then it's your turn to fill that pew. What kind of money would you take to say, oh, well, that pew don't matter? Excuse me? No, sir. No, sir, at all. That that matters more than just about anything. That family Bible that you should have. You know, the family home. This was your great-grandfather, and this is your grandfather, and this is your you know, this is your father and this, and you, well, I'm giving this to you. And here's your cousins and your aunts and your uncles. Um, It's a deeply strange way to live, to be just so disconnected. And, and, and not only is it, it spiritually damaging, which is ultimately what we should care about, but it's also very, uh, it's not, it, it's a false sense of prosperity. And so what we've done is um traded that false sense of prosperity for you know this this you know 50 60 maybe maybe 70 years at the absolute maximum maybe 100 but certainly not more than that uh of like oh we're well we're rich no no we were dependent on cheap gasoline and a few other things that just just ain't so and Rather than live the way God intended for us to live, we've, you know, rebelled and done this other thing, and it's going to bite us in the butt, like it does every time we do, we don't do what the Lord has told us to do. And to illustrate that more concretely, uh, if right, if if that house, if you know, housing prices. So just housing prices just, just crashed the way they did in 2008, right? And, or, or worse, 
which is distinctly possible the way things are going. You know, you never know. Um, how many of these places would people just? How many places would people just live? If if it, if it if, you know if that house that's worth half a million dollars or a million dollars in the right suburb of, of Atlanta right now, if it wasn't worth that you know million dollars in funny money, how many people would live there? Probably not many without cars. Right. right. If you didn't have a car and you didn't and it wasn't worth all this money. Right. If it was just worth, you know, twenty five thousand dollars, who would live there? Nobody, because. um, You know. Well, what's it get you? You know, it, it's too small to farm and it's too. Too big to mow, right? Like you need a, you know, some of these places, right? You need a tractor almost. You need you need a, a, a riding lawnmower to mow the dang thing. But it's not enough to like actually put you know five head of cattle on it and grow a cow. So there's just a huge pain in the butt. You just spend all day Saturday mowing the lawn for no reason whatsoever. There's a I was about to swear there. <laughs> I was about to swear there for a second. <laughs> no dang reason whatsoever. Uh, you know, no daggone reason. Um, so there's a, there's a village off the coast of Japan. Uh, it's abandoned. Uh, but basically right after World War II, um, there was a, it, it started off as a mine that it was just a remote mine just off the coast. And, uh, organically over time, this small little island was expanded because, you know, all the rubble that they would pull out that wasn't ore, they would just expand the island with that with that rubble. Uh, and they built a big concrete series of apartments right on top of that mine. And so, you know, like we're talking about, there's, there's you know, in this case, it's a little extreme because there's zero grass. It's all concrete. And everybody who works on this little island, or lives on this island, works in the mine. Well, the mine basically dried up, you know, in the 80s, I believe. And so the 5,000 people who lived on this island just dissipated. So for, you know, decades, they had this little community built around this mine. And then immediately, as soon as the mine dried up, the whole community disappeared, dissipated, literally overnight. Because nobody's going to stay in a in a place where there's no value to it. Uh, and the value to this this land was strictly what was coming out of the mine. This is kind of what you're talking about here. It's a it's a bit of an extreme example, but it's still what we're talking about. Well, no, here. Because right, well, it, you've got you these, know, these concrete jungles that don't produce anything. They don't. They just. Right. They oh. just act as, um, uh, uh, trade hubs essentially. And right. so, what is what are the? You said you know. Let's go back to the scriptures for a second. What is what do the scriptures tell us? The scriptures tell us that by your sweat of your brow shall you make your you know. Yeah. So you eat thy bread, and in the scriptures, and in the New Testament, the scriptures tell us if you don't work, you don't eat. 
Right. Right. You, you know, you've got to do something productive with your with your life. And we mean tangibly this, productive, it, not just making money. Because making money isn't being productive. I, mean, I, just, I, 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 I think you and I would both agree on that. I just wanted to drop that in there. Well, no, no. Uh, the, 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 the whole book's written about why usury is inherently evil, and I'm not gonna. I'm not a theologian, but but if you're a Christian, you can't. <laughs> yeah. If yeah, you're we're a Christian, there. you can't be. You just can't. Uh, uh, can't advocate for you. I've never had a lot of money in my wallet, but uh, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson never got together in my wallet and made a Benjamin Franklin. Let me put it that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Like, you know, it's like, Oh, Hey, that's $3. And all of a sudden you got a, a link in there. And I don't like $5 bills for lots of reasons, but <laughs> I'm not a fan of Mr. Lincoln. Um, anyway, uh, that's, that's not exactly here nor there, but, um, Right, so we we've got these communities that are inherently not valuable and inherently financially broke. They cost more in order to, in order to bring them up productive. You would need a massive investment from people that they don't have, right? Because you know, you think about it, right? Like uh, gas is you know four four more than four dollars where I'm at, right? Um. If you're driving an F-150 or an F-250 and and doing, you know, the 90-minute commute, you're spending. And there's a lot of guys all over Dixie that are doing just that, right? Like, if you got a work truck and you got to have a truck for work because you're, you know, in the trades or something. Um, whatever money yeah. you saved on, on the house, you know, living out in the middle of nowhere – you're losing on gas. It's it, you're going to so, be two, three hundred, four hundred dollars a week in gas. Oh yeah, easy. And so, any spare cash you have just goes out the window, you know, down your tailpipe, right? And and any time you have to, you know, coach your kids' baseball team or uh, participate in a vestry at church or what have you, anything. Right, is taken away by this, like the fact that you got to live ninety miles away. Now, as a guy who's done a lot of podcasts, I should be kind of thankful because sometime around nineteen ninety, uh, sometime after you know two thousand four or whatever, someone was like, "I got this iPod, and if I hear Don't Stop Believing by Journey one more time on the radio, I'm going to freaking kill somebody." <clears throat> so they, you know, they were like, "Okay, well, I'm just going <laughs> to listen to you know, like the podcast exists because because people are stuck in traffic for you know." an hour a day each way or something, right? That That's why our whole thing exists is, is there are people who decent folks who are just tired of, um, you know, 103.7, the Fox where it's now still 1978 and you still have hair, you know, uh, everywhere, you know, there's, uh, what is it? They call it iHeartRadio now. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, it was a big deal back in the Bush administration of like, oh, uh, right wing radio is going to take over the entire airwaves. And yeah, you know, they got their six six pack of um, let me look that up real quick uh, uh, of of radio stations, but they're the same everywhere, right? There's a now for menopausal women's magic ninety seven point four. You know, like uh, where 
you know, and then there's right. then of course, APR, NPR, or NPR, NPR, all NPR, over the place. Yeah. Like a, um, but I, I can do my, let me do my NPR voice here. <clears throat> uh, good evening. I'm uh, Padme uh, from uh, WXMM <laughs> in Atlanta, where I'm going to sit here and, and uh, tell everyone from Atlanta that they're horrible people and that they're racist and that because they don't serve good curry here, that uh, they should all die. Uh, my ancestors came across, uh, came over uh, last week, and I'm going to tell you what to do with Stone Mountain. Uh, also, here's the weather. Like, also, if your you know, curry like, is on point, then it's cultural appropriation. <laughs> That's right. And how dare you? <laughs> you know, how, um, how dare you? I, I, I got. I had to do that I, voice. Sorry. How dare you? Uh, you know, or or uh, you know, uh, um, there's a. Uh, Welcome to 5:75 a.m. Sports. We're gonna we're gonna talk about the Falcons and the Braves and somehow hockey in the South like it matters and it's really important and you should care a lot because you're a man, right? Like, you know, like I'm not gonna lie. I appreciate masculine. I appreciate hockey because it's the only sport where they could fight and you know not get removed uh, from well, the sport. Uh, yeah, I understand that, but like. Um, I don't right, know a like, hockey team, <laughs> but like, but like, I, I don't know him either. Games. But I just, I just watch the fights every once in a while because it's fun. It's like a yeah. boxing ring, but on ice. <laughs> I guess, but like, uh, okay, yeah, it used to be called Clear Channel. That's right. So you know, like, um, anyway. So, so, you know, you've got these radio stations that are all just mind-numbing, boring, you know, the, the same everywhere. Um, and and lots of substitute activities, right? And, you know, the other thing about suburbs, right, is in a small town, right, pretty much everybody was going to be the same, right? Like, you, you were going to be uh, all the Baptists would live roughly the same spot. Well, you know, and if your family moved out to a suburb in 1964, say, and, you know, a, the guy across the street's a Methodist and you're a Baptist, and the guy next door to you on one side's a, you know, a Yankee Catholic, and the guy on the other side is um, nothing at all, and the guy two doors down is Jewish, and the, what do you guys got to talk about? Like, you, you're you not in the community with any of these folks. You don't see them at church on Sunday. You don't, you don't know their you don't know their grandma. So what do you got to talk about? You got to talk about the Braves or the Falcons or the Cowboys. Secular or stuff. Secular stuff. Right. So it's, it's, not, it's not like they're your kith and kin where, you know, you're the, you're the Jones family and you've been in, in the third pew down from the, on, the, on, on the left for 60 years and they're the Smith family and they've been in the uh, third pew on the right side for six sixty five, and you y'all have known each other for you know that whole time, and you know your cousin is married to his sister and all that. No, yeah. you know you're just you got nothing. There's not any community there, and that was deliberate. That you know that was a deliberate destruction of those ties that bind, um, by the federal government on for all kinds of reasons, uh, in the fifties, sixties, and seventies. Then we can go into that if y'all want, but um, well, I, I've I've talked about this a fair bit 
myself, you know, in, in personal conversations about, um, you know, I, I'm going to get in trouble with a lot of people because I'm going to say this publicly. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the the American version of capitalism is, you know, pretty demonic, frankly. Um, it's Amen. It's yes, entirely centered around uh, economizing everything. I, I think the... I think the term, I'm not sure who coined it. I can't remember where I heard it from, but, you know, it's homo economicus, right? Everything is boiled down to how much money you can make me. I think that was Tom Sunich. Okay. Uh, but, I mean, that, that kind of view of, of mankind was really popularized by the carpetbaggers and by the, uh, the monopolists, you know, in the early, in the early 19th century. And, you know, the, the, the way that they handled industrialization in the United States effectively resulted in what we have today. And then the, the managerial class that Sol likes to talk about that, that popped up, you know, with the boomers uh, has just exacerbated that where you have a class of people that have to self justify as to why they exist. And their only claim to fame is I can make things work more efficiently uh, but everything that you that you gain from the efficiency at the higher levels, you lose by paying their salaries. So you you don't you don't actually win in the end. You end up losing, uh, just because of the overhead. Um, mm-hmm. and so that there there's a you know I'm I'm a way to tie this back in, and I have a couple of more things I want to bring up because it it's it's kind of a a total picture here that. I'm really trying to present with this conversation. So in the book, he talks about having, um, having work near the home. Uh, even, even if you have to, you know, quote unquote, leave the home to work, you're not leaving the home as in, I'm going to drive 30, 40 minutes to go to work. It's you walk outside your front doorstep, and you walk over to, you know, a couple of blocks down the road, you work there, you come home for lunch, you go back, finish the day's work, and then come back home. Right? And so, you know, the you you have a you have a park basically where the women and the children are there, they're they're, you know, the the women are educating the kids, the kids are playing, uh they're taking care of their domestic duties and, you know, for lunch you can spend time with your family and your neighbor's family and and you know the Joneses down the street, and you guys are actually having a conversation. You're actually interacting as a community. And during that time, you know, especially the way that I want to talk about this and, and really direct it is, you know, you're edifying one another on your lunch. You know, the men go and work together, and they work as brothers in Christ, and then they come home for for you know lunch or dinner, and they're communicating with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're building one another up in the faith as we're going about our daily duties. And you don't have that today because everybody is so uh, uh, diffused across such a great distance. And the the right. there's this there's this um, if I can get a little esoteric here, there's there's some there's there's real symbolic and spiritual worth in proximity itself. Um, that. You know, having a community built around your church, and and I mean, this book is kind of the nuts and bolts of it, right? Where 
Yes. The, the, the practical aspect of this is found in this book, but it really matches up with, uh, and, and it marries very nicely, if I can pun a little bit, it marries very nicely with the way that the South has traditionally done things anyways. Yes. Well, and one of the reasons the South was so viciously attacked, well, I mean, ever since <clears throat> Mr. Lincoln uh, started his war, but under continuous attack since then, is because the South has stood contramundum. Mm-hmm. Because the South has has lived a different way, because they've been family centered, because they've been, um, uh, so m- much more interested in living in, in the old ways than living in the profit maximizing way. Because See, but- because because in the South, you know, you can go. I can go to the old family church and say. Uh, well, I'm moving because, you know, the family's been at this church for 150 years. So why would I move? And people, rather than go, so what? Like they would in other places in the country, people in the South go, yeah, I see that. You're right. You got a point. One of the worst things that actually happened to us was shipping us off to uh, not me because, you know, I didn't go to college. Uh, and I'm proud of that. Uh, but we're shipping our kids off to college, and and they're becoming deracinated and completely divorced from their uh, from their actual cultural roots. Not only that, but okay, so what the South is going through right now, what I call uh, the third or fourth reconstruction, depending on how you actually want to count the reconstructions. Fourth and fourth, okay, uh, yeah, because the nineties was one, also wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. No. Yep. There was. I was young then, so I don't really remember that one, and it's not talked about as much as the other ones. But um, anyways, um, right now we're going through the fourth, and it's and it's they're just infiltrated. They're just dumping down here by the dozen, literally by the dozen, and um, you know, I thousands and millions. Yes. Yes. Thousands and millions. Like I, I'm, I'm almost convinced that my particular area, I'm, you know, I give a very broad area for the, uh, but it's gonna triple in size. I mean, that's just my thoughts on it right now because well, so and, and here. okay, so just just look at Nashville, right, as a perfect example. You know, the government of the state of Tennessee is like, well, we're pro business, we're conservative, we're this, we're that. Let's make sure to bring in Amazon and a bunch of communists from outside of the state uh, because we're pro business, and so that they you know triple the traffic, add a bunch of uh, new schools, and then they've just found a bunch of Democrat voters. Like you know, like oh, you think a bunch of workers from Amazon are going to care real hard about like your right to go deer hunting? No, like, like <laughs> no, no, they're not. Well, quite the opposite. Because <laughs> you're going deer hunting, they'll see you as a threat. Because you ought to be a vegan, anyways. Right? Yeah. No, they hate you. So why yeah. did the state of Tennessee bring all these people that hate you and hate Tennesseans and hate Southerners and hate Christianity and hate God and hate common sense and worship the devil? And you know, again, this is early May, 2022. The the 
uh, I was talking with the Molech worshippers had their thing. No, yeah, no, and and yeah, they're Molech worshippers. I, I, I mean, I'm done pretending that these people ain't got demons, man. These right. people, these people worship demons. And so, why why would you bring these people into Nashville or Austin or somewhere in Florida? You know, Ron DeSantis, God bless him, has done more against you know the virus and all this other stuff than a lot of people. And I hope he takes you know I hope he hits some you know takes Disney out back behind the woodshed and gives him a whooping. But don't pretend that you know bringing. Oh well, we brought all these jobs and this and that and the other thing. You know, we brought all these. You know, all these people are moving to Texas and Tennessee and Florida and. Why? Make him go home. And if you think Abbott's your yeah. friend over there in Texas, him inviting big tech to come into your state and propagandize your yeah. children is not your friend. Oh, no, no. Greg Abbott's, uh, as I put it, he doesn't stand up for Texas. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and so, uh, I, so I, one thing, go ahead, Travis. Sorry. Let, let me add something. So, so we're talking about how, you know, the South essentially is being invaded right now by, you know, the, the regressives. I'm, that's what I'm going to call them. But they're they're huge. They're, they're past the industrial. They're, they're in the tech age, right? And the South never um, South never really advanced into the tech age like other states have. So I was talking with Sandbatch the other day, and I was kind of like, I think I was connecting some dots there. And essentially... Because the South did not advance on her own terms, we're having now to live with the uh, the repercussions of living by the Yankees' rules. So now it's a whole middle management pipeline, even that they'll buy up these small regional companies in the South and make them much larger, and then they they're just shipping their guys from the North straight into middle management positions. So that's like right. Small- Sam Batch is one of my favorite people. I think he's brilliant. Um. Anyway, um, but I just, I, I, would, I, want, I want to throw this in there real quick because it's it's directly related to what you're saying. I mean, from from me, the Gulfport Biloxi area, uh, you know, we, we had a longstanding law against gambling institutions in the state of Mississippi, and it, it's an old law. And yes, sir, we we doubled down on it when the casinos tried to come down here in in the first round because they wanted to. They wanted to get in on that on that on that uh that, that that port dime, if you know what I mean. They they got port they got a port right next to there. So they wanna they wanna capitalize on that. Well uh what ended up happening was, you know, the Gulfport and Biloxi municipal uh 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 you know the I'm I'm sorry, the, the city the city uh Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Administrative county government city. Um yeah. They they gave them an exception. Well, you can be on the barges, right? You, if you can make a barge and you can float on the water, then we'll let you stay there. Well, then Katrina comes along, throws the barges all the way up on the on the on the shore. Well, what happens now? Oh, for safety concerns, you know, we don't want them on the barge anymore. We want them, you know, on solid ground. Make sure nobody gets hurt and everybody's got their job and so. So they play it off as, as if they're trying to help you, right? But really all it yeah. is is they're getting more tax monies from the casinos than they're getting from any local businesses. It's all about padding that palm, you know what I mean? So that that's, yeah, of wh- course. that's, where, they're, that's where they're getting off on it. And so ever since then, there's been a, a slow and steady cancerous infestation of the Gulf Coast. 
starting with those casinos and working its way north, where you know there's entire of blocks of Gulfport that are completely unusable. Uh, some of them have been well, un- it, unusable it, it, since the '60s, but you know a lot of this is is new. I mean, you have the 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 Lyman area, you have the um, you know what's now North Gulfport that got annexed. You know, in the I think it was the '90s, the '80s, '90s, somewhere around there. Uh, those used to be vibrant communities, you know, good, you know, good well, church, sure. good and, church-going and, people, and now it's all degraded, and crimes way up, murder rates all the way up, drug use is all the way up. Uh, well, and, right. and it's just and, a and continuation of that. There's a there's a book that's uh, it's tough to find. It's on Amazon, but for a fair amount of money, called Left Behind in Rosedale. I think it's the name of it, and it just it just goes over what happened in the 60s in this in the second reconstruction and the violence you know one of the one of the things that our society it depends on a few just pernicious lies to function right and uh one of those lies number one is that uh men and women aren't substantially different that women aren't ultimately dependent on men and that uh women are you know just as capable of doing things as men and they don't have their own separate nature of course that's nonsense women are ultimately dependent on men you know men are the only ones who pay taxes really and you know god ordained it that way that that you know that this the wife should cleave to the husband and form their own family and all of that i don't need to get into that too much but um the other one is is that you know the, the races are the same and you know in mississippi you have these two populations of uh you know anglo-celtic uh southerners and the blacks of the south and they'd come to some kind of modus vivendi that worked pretty well from say after the war to 1960 or so mm-hmm. and um you know, it was just understood that that um, you know, in all the s- subsequent science and everything else, that you know, like, sorry, you know, thirteen percent of the population is actually more like probably four or five percent when you consider that you know, you know, but black men commit over half the crime in this country, being only you know four or five percent of the, of the population. Well, and it's it's most highly concentrated in. In the the urban black population specifically, right? Yeah, and so it's a, it's an astonishingly small number of people committing just just massive amounts of crime, massive amounts, and and that's all this only the stuff we know about. How many how many times has somebody been murdered in Jackson, Mississippi, and just nobody knows? Nobody just doesn't doesn't everyone ignores it, and so you've got this. You know, this pressure from the inside from all the riots after civil rights, so-called civil rights riots in the 60s um, and and this pressure on crime. But she was talking about, I think it was uh, Haley Barber was the governor of Mississippi. He used to be a senator that was just basically, mm-hmm. uh, you know, had had owned by big gambling, you know, oh, yeah. tattooed on his on his right butt cheek. <laughs> um, yeah, on his forehead, uh, if you want to get a little bit more biblical about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, what sort of business, you know, <clears throat> when when 
uh, I'm from the Northwest. And so one of our senators for a long time was Henry Scoop Jackson. He was one of the last Democrats that was worth a darn. But he was jokingly called, and except not really, you know, the senator from Boeing, right? Because that's that's what he did. He was he was Boeing's man in Washington. He, he was a hardcore cold warrior because he knew, like, gonna have to build planes. Well, when you know when the government buys a plane, it doesn't really need. It at least got you know a skilled worker out of it, like the skilled machinist, right? You know, there's this this knowledge base that's preserved. This family man got a, a job doing something actually useful, and you got a plane out of it. You might not have needed the plane necessarily, but you got all this other ancillary benefits out of out of building this plane. What do you get? And you know, and he, and then there's businesses. You know, though that well, Boeing needs aluminum, so there's an aluminum smelter that's got a business, or or there's a you know a small machine shop, or you know, there's all this other business that happens because Boeing got this big plane. And it's almost all useful stuff, right? Like, you know, you need a power plant for the for the amount of uh, power that these planes need. The aluminum process is highly power intensive. So it's part of why they were located in Washington State. We've got a lot of uh, uh, hydroelectric on the Olympic Peninsula. So anyway, you, you get this useful, good stuff. What kind of businesses does gambling attract? Pawn shops. Yeah, pawn shops. You've got um, uh, liquor stores, liquor, bars, liquor, um, hookers, uh, prostitutes, women of got... ill repute. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, you know, you've got like there's no virtuous cycle here. It's like like you know, gambling dens are the sort of. Uh, you know, they don't they don't encourage people like, you know, build like a, a solid middle class, prosperous society. You know, they're it's it's dregs, man. And, and it's it's a cancer on society. I mean, I'm just it, 20 years in, in Gulfport watching it turn to rot, literally. Um, I, I can I can just I mean, tell it, you. I mean, at least with so we've got Indian casinos around here, and um, at least they do put the money back in the community. Like they've opened up a lot of good opportunities for everyone in this particular region down here. Uh, but I still would not want casinos just because we, when you go in and look at it, who's there spending the money? It's old, old ladies, old widow women that are spending away their husband's pension. Instead of giving it to their grandchildren, and then it's working class men that are trying to, um, you know, turn their paycheck into more money, but ultimately they just wind up blowing their paycheck instead of right. The house wins. Right, house always wins. That's right, and 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 why you know why is that working class dude, um, you know, gambling? Well, because he knows that there's no way for him to win. You know, like, oh, well, you know, to work hard, play by the rules, save your money, and you'll win. <laughs> no one under 50 believes that. It's one of the worst things about dealing with boomers is you're like, well, I just, didn't, you know, I love Dave Ramsey. God bless him. Um, um, but, you know, he thinks he lives in a functioning society. And it's like, bro. <laughs> 
No. <laughs> yeah, no, the, no. The he... best thing he does is tell you to get out of debt. After that, Amen. just get away from Dave. You know, this isn't <laughs> the 1990s anymore. Right. Right. You're, you're not right. You're not wrong. And, and so, anyway, uh, uh, we've talked a lot about this kind of stuff. and, and uh, So, what's the I solution? Have... Like, what, what's, oh, well, was... what's the solution? But, okay, also, I want to tie it into, and why is single-family homesteads bad? Because I'm All right, on well, I, I can give you right now. So, okay, I don't well, exactly let's... want to leave it. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Well, okay, so um, y'all know the the Little House books, like Little House yes. on the Prairie, Little House in the Big Woods, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Okay, those those books are about a family struggling with poverty because Pa Ingalls couldn't take advantage of division of labor and had to do everything himself. Now, you, you can be... You know, seven foot tall, made of iron, have the brains of Leonardo da Vinci and the body of a god. It it don't matter if you got to do all of it yourself. Something's gonna slip, right? You can't be a good butcher and a good baker and a good candlestick maker and a good blacksmith and a good farmer and a good. You just can't. There ain't enough time in the day to to learn all that stuff. You're human, you're fallible, you have limited resources, and you have limited right. skill sets. Right. And, you know, maybe know maybe exactly you're really, like. you know, Sorry, and so, so I, I'm absolutely 100% pro homestead. Right. Pro that 100%. But what people got to realize is this whole, like, Thomas Jefferson idea, you know, as opposed to deriving the truth from what he could see around him. He took this abstract notion and laid it across the entire landscape and said, you know, here are these six, uh, his idea, original idea was seven mile by seven mile squares. And uh, we're going to just treat all of it the same. Now y'all have both spent time outside. Um, Land ain't like that, right? You know, And you might have half a section that's a really good field. And you might have half a section that, that's just, uh, you know, really bad, rocky, swampy soil or something, right? And it's just useless. And rather, you know, we just, oh, that's just a section. You know, we, we abstracted this amount of land, this size on this piece of property. And treated it all the same as opposed to, you know, that more natural way of saying, well, you know, no one really cares about the swamp over there. We're going to combine these two parcels of good, solid farmland. We'll make a farm out of that. That's all what I mean by, you know, Jefferson talking about that too much. I, I did a podcast many, a couple of years ago with, with Missoni's service over at Rebel Yell called Muh Colonies, M-U-H Colonies. And, uh, and we kind of get into this stuff there. But but basically, I actually enjoyed that that one. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I enjoyed that podcast. And actually, since I've heard that, uh, it's really gotten my brain whirling on colonies and how to build. One right, and- right, right. So so this idea, right, like like 
families are going to go to, you know, the back 40 acres, you know, you're going to go to your quarter section and you're going to farm that. And we're going to treat every, every bit of this is just the, exactly the same as anything else. And, and it's not really like that, right? Rather than, and they're, and they're going to be geographically isolated, right? Rather than, you know, like individual homes, each, you know, quarter mile, half mile, far away from each other, rather than like that traditional process that Alexander talks about where everything's like a hub and a spoke type arrangement, right? Where you've got um, people relatively close together and then farming like a, like a pizza, you know, the, the, that thing that goes in the middle of the pizza that tape that to keep the, the yeah, box sand. Yeah, yeah. The kids use them for doll tables and that sort of stuff, like that. Like one of those, right? Like the town would be like that, and then you'd farm each, you know, pizza slice, as it were, right? That's that's your traditional sort of thing. And Sandbatch actually turned me on to a fellow by the name of Von Tunin. Um, uh, he's a uh, he's got a model of of like if uh, you know that that big abstract, big brain stuff, nineteenth century stuff, where you know you, you got your inland. You're, you know, city on a plane and you've got your, like inside your ring, you've got like your dairy and then, you know, your veg, you know, your veg and then your, you know, cereal grains and, and then your ranching and then your, you know, timbering in these concentric circles. What that individual farming model has done that that Paul Ingalls type, you know, not able to cooperate, not able to go to town, not able to do all these other things. It forced people to lose a lot of time and money and effort in um, having to repeat processes and not concentrate their efforts together. You know, the Amish all live close together. You know, and they're kicking our butts. You know, the average Amish woman has like eight kids, right? I mean, the Amish are going to outlast us all just just because of the way they've got their communities built. That's right. And so, you know, I'm sure you all have seen him. That the video of like you know, 500 Amish dudes just picking up a barn. Yep. Right. Just picking up a barn and moving it. Can you imagine how cool that would be? Like, you know. 500 of your bros, just, all right, everybody, hoop, oh, we just moved the barn. No That's tractor, right. no nothing. You know? And, well, the, the first step on that is you got to have 500 bros. Yeah. <laughs> that, are, yeah. That, are all, that are all swollen enough, right? So that that traditional American model of that, that farm all by itself, it doesn't let you concentrate those resources. It doesn't let you have, you know, your incremental little, like everybody grows their own vegetable patch, but you know, we got a patch right here, a grass that we can, you know, keep a couple dairy cows on and everybody splits the milk. Cause you know, one cow does four gallons of milk a day and you know, there's 10 families. And so everybody gets a gallon and a half of milk or whatever it is. Right. And then we can, you know, have one, one little boy, with like a slingshot or something and mine a cows 
or the sheep or what have you, right? And while the dads are out doing the, the heavy farm stuff, the plowing, you know, maybe a little, their daughters could, could weed right after Papa. And there's two or three guys, you know, there's, there's jo- all kinds of jobs out there that, you know, by yourself are hard to do hard. But if you had two or three buddies, they're easy, right? You know, oh, lifting this 200 pound thing. When you're by yourself, you got to be like, oh man, I got to get a rope. I got to winch. I got to, you know, do all this other stuff. When you got four guys, four or five guys, you just, it's done, right? Yep. Um, You know, I think I, I'm optimistic in terms of like, I think the truth will out, but I do not, I do not think this middle, you know, 2025 to 2075 of of the 21st century is going to be fun for people. I think it's going to get pretty rough. Um, and I if think you read, we're looking at the collapse of Rome. Yeah, amen. Like that. Yeah, some, something like that. Uh, that. That might be, you know, better than what's actually, you know. But if you read, you know, about what the South dealt with in terms of in this uh, 17th, um, and 18th century in particular, and even into the early part of the 19th century, right? You know, Jamestown wasn't, you know, a bunch of individual yeoman farmers. It was people huddled together behind a wall because there was a bunch of people on the other side of that wall that wanted them dead. Yeah. And communities you know all the way out to texas right you know if you've read uh um empire of the summer moon by sc queen he did a pretty good pretty good uh, biography of uh of general jackson as well um called rebel yale um that's but my know, the, the, favorite documentary uh, not, not document my favorite biography man oh well it's a wonderful book but anyway um you know, the Comanche forced people to collectivize, right? And you think about it, right? Like, it's only relatively recently that something like laundry was done in individual homes because heating water is so energy intensive that it was a collective activity. You know, yeah, I mean, we've become a far too individualistic. Like, everybody's yes. got to have their own little slice of heaven. Um, I mean, so with the whole colony idea is a great idea if you can get people on board, you know. So if you could get a small handful of people to actually go and and live that way in their own individual Amish communities, that would be amazing. However, most people aren't willing to do that right now. So this is what I this is what I've been suggesting for now. In the interim between now and when we can actually do something um to actually build a new town like you know like the whole colony thing um and that's have like vert not really virtual but it's basically a a homesteading network within your area so it'd be like if someone yes. needs to help putting up a fence or something boom everybody's over there i mean you're not yes, you're, no, well, I'm, I'm working on that sort of thing with, right well well okay but, but you got to start somewhere 
right? Right. Yeah. So maybe, maybe, so maybe, um, you know, you find a pre-manufactured steel building for $50,000, right? And you put it next to Phil's house. Phil, Phil's got, found the guy with the most central land. Say, all right, Phil, we're going to put up, everyone's going to kick in. We're going to spend $50,000 and put up a barn on your property. And everybody's going to throw in and we're going to put in, you know, a cedar and some other equipment that's going to live at your house or live in this piece, live in this barn here. And everybody you paid in can use it. Right. And we'll lock it up and we'll take care of it. But there's no damn sense at all in all of us each buying a cedar. Or all of us buying a, a big old flatbed truck. Why, why does everybody need a log truck? Why can't just why can't just Bob have the log truck? Why can't I, you know, like, hey, Bob, clearing a bunch of land. You want to bring the log truck on by and we'll fill her up and you can go sell it and stuff. I'll get a piece. Sure, Jim, we'll do that. You know, we are too individualistic. We need to recollectivize around things that help us out and don't cost us money. Because that's the only way we're going to save anything in the future. You know, inflation is going to be just an absolute murder. Once the Chinese are off the dollar, whoo, Katie, bar the door. You know, but I've um, I've I've been talking about this a lot lately um, with my church, you know, members, and um, you know the 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 I guess the the loose goal that I set was in in about three generations we want to have a fully functioning community surrounding a church, and that's kind of a amen. that's kind of a loose goal. Right, it it it's unattainable to say we're going to do this in ten years, right? You, this is a generation. You'd be uh, well. Uh, you'd be surprised. I I think you're right. You're you're right to say, oh, it, it won't happen in ten years and three generations goal. I think you're gonna you're gonna uh, in twenty you'll you'll be substantially there. I think just because I don't think that I think that right now you might be like, oh. Travis, right? Sorry, I, uh, this is name, Luke. I'm terrible. Travis, he's Luke. Okay, well, Luke, Luke's just going on about his craziness after church again. When somebody pat him on the head and hand him some, hand him a donut, right? But as things as things get more and more the way they're going to get, right? People can go, well, hey, Luke. Yes, sir. He was saying that you know the dollar and federal is. Federal Reserve was printing money and dollar reserve currency status and petrodollar was coming to an end and it was all going to end in tears and massive problems. Yeah. Well, I'm having, you know, XYZ problem and, you know, what do I do? Uh, you know, the, the temptation, believe me, is to say, <laughs> you should have listened to me. Yeah, Listen to yeah. me two years ago, dumbass. But... <laughs> I've been telling you for a decade. Yeah, I know that feeling, man. 
No, well, believe me, <laughs> believe me, I know, I know it well. No, what I would, uh, what I would, is find things that you can do right now. Find processes that that uh, if you're if you've ever read Joel Salvatin. He's mm-hmm. a man I, I, I greatly respect, greatly respect. Find regenerative processes that you can do now that put money back in your pocket. So we and were... then find things that you can cooperate on. You know, if you got a rich fella, um, but I don't know enough about it. Um, but the, the show y'all did on easements was outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. Um wonderful wonderful program um but if you could get you know a big old easement that you could put four houses on and farm right yeah well that's kind of where we were going when i talked about it you know because i i I, if i'm going to do something like that i want to build a community and and that could be a that could be a massive boon if you could get something like that, right? Right, and and right. you know, and utilize it, that those resources to build something. I mean, it, the the added issue here is getting the people to actually buy into it. Uh, and you know, kind of what you're talking about this these practical, short term goals to get to the long term goal. Um, you know, Travis right. had mentioned. Uh, you know, making sure, hey, look, man, if you need some help around the house, let me know. I do this, this, I have these skills and these trades. Just let me know, man, I could help you out around the house. Or, uh, you know, if there's a, you know, if there's a widow in the, in the church, you know, you're all going to put together, go mow her lawn or whatever, and just be there as a community for one another. But, you know, even beyond that, you know, just spending time with one another, godly fellowship with the members of your, of your church outside of, you know, a regular service, right? And 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 building that relationship with one another in that in that yeah, local I'm... sense. You know, that's that's the start. And and having that start as the beginning of this this wave you're trying to push in this direction well, uh, of building a community perfect... around the church. Sure. Well I'll give you a perfect example of something that, that could be done immediately right now. Okay. Um, I don't know. Are y'all both Protestants? Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. So I'm a I'm a papist. Um, but we have a concept called a, a mortal sin in in Catholicism. I don't know if y'all do, but we do. And what is it? That's one of those sins that's immediately cuts you off from the grace of God. It's very serious, right? Well, sending your children your precious children that God gave to you, it's very nearly a mortal sin. You cannot you cannot send good, God-fearing Christian children into a modern public school and expect to get the children God gave you back from that public school. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is impossible. Totally, 100% impossible. Wasn't this like uh, episode these... four, three or four, Travis, <laughs> that we talked about this? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, well, okay. We went well, through then, Dabney. Then. We we started out starting with Dabney, and that's, that's exactly where it went was public education. Well, Dabney's a prophet. Um, 
I think the favorite, but my, one of my, I think the favorite thing I've ever read just about about politics comes from him talking about women's suffrage and Northern conservatism. Yeah, because it was just as true then as it is now. But anyway, uh, um, so y- you all know what I'm saying. But but right now, let's just hypothetically, you find a rich fellow doesn't want to pay no taxes to the Moloch government, so he gets this conservation easement. And he manages to preserve 150 acres. And, you know, you can put four houses and a barn and stuff on it. Well, if you can't get a dozen families to do it, you might be able to get three, right? That are all willing to, sure, I'll move out to the farm and I'll put some chickens and you know, maybe only one of you is really interested in farming, but at least one guy's willing to move out there. And uh, you're close enough for mutual security, which is going to, I think, be a problem in the future. But the other thing you can do is you can say, well, we got a big old barn here. Um, you know, the, the upper room above the barn, you know, hey, pastors, I mean, it ain't much, but you could stop paying rent on that big old building in, in town that's ugly you know just hold services here and Monday through Friday it could be the homeschool co-op and then maybe there might not be a dozen families willing to move out to the farm but I guarantee you there's a dozen mothers that would be like wait a second so you're just going to teach homeschool co-op to all the kids and I studied English at college, so I only have to teach English class Monday and Wednesday morning. And Sally, who's a math teacher at the local high school, is going to quit her job because she's tired of serving Satan. And she's going to teach math, and I don't have to teach math? Sign me up. So unironically, my my church does something extremely similar to that. Um, Good for them. God bless them. Yeah, I mean the the only the, the we're not you know too far away from just saying hey let's let, let's just go ahead and build a town somewhere. <laughs> well, good. Show them this show. Show them the because you, you know um you've already seen it, but there have been churches vandalized all across this country. Yeah, over this, uh, you know, and and there have been churches burned down all over France. If you think that the the burning of Notre Dame Cathedral was an accident, I have a bridge to sell you. And I I, I think if you hop off that bridge right after you buy it, you'll fly, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. You know, and, and spread and, your and, wings and, and fly, tr- baby. Go ahead. All over Canada, churches were burned over that fake, um, you know, fake. Indian kids getting, you know, attacked and, you know, buried and stuff. Uh, you know, the, the, the indig- missing in indigenous graves, mass, you know, that was all nonsense. It was found to be nonsense. But a bunch of churches got burned down in Canada. So a, a time of prosecution is coming. Persecution is coming to the church. So, um, you know, if pastor's house is in the middle of town, and he's got, you know, you never know. You might have a communist antifa neighbor that you don't know about because you don't know your neighbors because your community is designed to not know your neighbors. You know, 
it's awful hard to burn down a house when there's three or four other people right next door that know stuff. Yeah. And, and are armed. And are keep. Yeah. Well, I mean, all my guns fell in a river, so I don't know nothing about no, no. <laughs> but those dad you gum know, you know accidents. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, what people got to understand, right, is it's not so much that, like, um, the ship is sinking. How do we turn it around? Like, there's the iceberg. Uh, you know, how do we turn this ship around? It's like, no, 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 no. We hit the iceberg a, wise, a ways back. It's time to find yourself a lifeboat. And um, there's no... There's no way, right? Like, I mean, I wish that everyone was good, 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 God-fearing Christian people, but they ain't. And yeah. and only a severe chastisement is going to make people who've been comfortable understand the, the how you know the folly of their ways. You know, you know, as a dog returned to its vomit. Yep, that's exactly right. And 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 so what is absolutely absolutely gonna happen is um you know some something bad <laughs> like you can't you got to look around and go oh my gosh we got inflation we got war with russia we got you know a op- wide open southern border we got a you know food factory fires all over the place we got droughts we got you know you know pick pick your poison something Something ain't right. <laughs> like, right. you know, and so, uh, you know, I, I used that, how I kind of got into this whole dissident thing was, was through the libertarian prepper kind of gun community. And, <laughs> hey, me too. Um, yeah, same. <laughs> there you uh, go. But, but, um, but a lot of those folks, you know, like they thought all that there was all going to be John Rambo or something. Um, and that's foolish. It's just pure uh, the lies we tell ourselves. Right. Well, anyway, but you know, preps it, it, it you know, if I buy, uh, an extra can of beans a week, that, that doesn't hurt me none. It, it, it helps me. Right. You know, um, th- that just, it's just, it, it, it just helps me no matter what. So it solves for pattern, as as my friend Rufus says, right? So, you know, I would like it if my children married other good Christian children. Mm-hmm. Well, if they were homeschooled in a homeschool co-op with other good Christian children and little Jimmy likes little Sally, you know. That issue kind of takes care of itself. That's right. Yeah. Little Sally's right? dad gives you some goats. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go down. I'm gonna be a, a tobacco auctioneer, and you know, my daughter's gonna turn 19. I'm gonna be like, do I hear three beautiful? Do I hear five? I hear a bit of five beautiful grandchildren, and not asking for, for money. No, I hear a bit. I have a bit of seven beautiful grandchildren, and not asking me for. I hear a bit. I hear a bit of nine beautiful grandchildren. <laughs> you know, I, you know, <laughs> nine beautiful grandchildren, three goats. And an apartment for when I'm old, sold to the fine young man with the plumber's cap right over there, sweetie. 
<laughs> you know, like, kind of add a little cuber on top of this one, and you know, this uh, if you've ever seen The Office, um, uh, Dwight's gonna go, just, just gonna go marry that Amish woman, <laughs> and her daddy's trying to sell him a tractor. <laughs> so he's he's yeah, gonna he's gonna yeah. get a wife, a tractor, and an extra beet farm. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I nice. mean, we laugh, but that's how it's been done for centuries. I mean, oh, I, I'm no, a, that's that's normal. I, I'm I'm completely here for it. One hundred percent. And 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 uh, what we got to realize is that you know, past is prologue. You know, um, it, you know, prologue is is present. It's future. You know, it, it it's. You're just going to have to live this way just because you're going to have to live this way. But also, it's better. God designed men to live a certain way. You know, he did not design men to sit in a car. You were designed to walk 10 miles a day. Mm. And with the proliferation of of the kind of technology that we have today, I can't talk, guys. I'm from Alabama, dad. (laughs) But with That's the pr- right. proliferation of all this technology that we have today, it's so much easier to just to actually go and do that. I mean, you can run out some high-speed Wi-Fi, and some people can work from the house out there, bring in money from the outside world, and enrich your you know your your own people. I mean, you could even do a you know, yeah, absolutely, and not and not only that, but you know the other communities. I forget what they're what they're called. There's a, a sociological term, but the Mormons are, are an example, and the Amish are an example, and uh, the Jews are an example of they view themselves as separate. Yeah, and money goes into those communities, but it doesn't go out. Yep. But Christians don't think that way. They think, well, we oh, need well, to. Walmart's cheap. Right. So right. Um, whereas, whereas, like you know, if you need a plumber, you should call your buddy who's a Christian. Yeah. You know. Like and, and we, you know, a money money should come into your church, and it should only circulate amongst members of that church or people that are well, if uh, um, that you know, like you just can't, you can't, um, uh, treat the outside world like it's a community of you know. If this if if if, if this ever was a Christian nation, then we can argue about that. It's certainly not now. Well, I mean, I, I would even go as far as to say that you should just preference your local body. Like, even if you're in the same denomination and all the other good nonsense, you know, you preference your local body of believers because that's your extended family, you know, according to mm-hmm. how Christ set up the church, right? Your church is your extended family. The preference them. So I was actually talking about this with my pastor um, a little while, you know, a little while ago. And he says that, you know, because a lot of, down here, especially uh, these people have like networks where they call each church trying to get, you know, $100 here, $200 there, etc. And they make a living off of it. I don't know how they can be so, you know, degenerate, but they are. And after a while, because we have a very clear benevolence policy that if you're not a member of this church, we do not consider you for you know, handout basically help and um after the you know first maybe 10 calls not anymore after that because it's not real quick show up to the church yeah Yeah. and so you know i'm not i don't want to say screw them but 
at the same time, you're not a part of a community. Why should you benefit from being a part right. of a community? Uh, and, and, that's, and that's the thing is, is that um, you know, you can go into the math and all this other stuff, but, but basically white Christian fathers are the economic engine of this society. They're, they're the backbone of the military and the police. You know, without if a society without white Christian fathers would be a mess inside twenty four hours, probably probably like five hours, honestly. Um, Are you running a dearth of them right now. <laughs> um, but if um, if it was just us in charge, if it was just white Christian fathers in charge, we we'd have the whole thing turned around inside six, you know, a year or two, six months, six months majority of the work would be done. Of making this a decent place again. So, white Christian fathers are the are the economic fathers of all those poor kids in the ghetto that are on welfare. Because it comes out of your wallet, my wallet, all our other friends at church comes out of your wallet. You pay twice, right? You you're paying for all those missiles in Ukraine. You're paying for everything, and you're getting nothing back, except for a dead right. son. Yeah, maybe may a dead dead son, you know, on behalf of a grateful nation, you know, here's, you know, your son for, fought to make homosexuality safe in Uganda. Thank you very much. Your line is ended and have a nice night. Right. So. Well, we've been we conditioned to, to not care about your line anymore. Well, that's that's not biblical at all. Well, no, I know. But we've been conditioned well, I mean, to think uh, that way. You know? Yes, sir. We have, but it, but but nevertheless, right? It, yeah. it ain't right, and so we need to stop identifying with this central government that hates us and wants us dead. Right? We got a ministry of truth run by a crazy lady. Mm-hmm. That if I say Bruce Jenner is a man, like he won, he won the most difficult athletic event in the Olympics in 1976. He was the world's greatest athlete, and I'm supposed to pretend that he's a woman. No thanks. I'll pass. <laughs> no, that's that's craziness. That's just plain crazy. That's that's not that's not oh, uh, um, you know something that's on the surface plausible, but not really like racial equality. Like he in in you know certain people could have been fooled. I mean, Southerners knew what was up, and they were right the whole time. But but the idea. You know, that's just pants on head ridiculous. The Bruce Jenner is all of a sudden a, a beautiful older woman. No, What's he's a crazy woman? person. It, 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 you know, he's a crazy person who needs to be locked up in a crazy place <laughs> in an asylum. And anybody he's that Jesus. wants to pretend, yeah, well, he needs Jesus real bad too. But, um, but he's also crazy. He needs to be locked up and kept away from decent people. Um, and, and the idea that that we can, you know, just kind of kind of come to some kind of modus vivendi with these people it's not like um you know the catholics moved in down the street and you're like i don't know if we deal with these catholics you know yeah we 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 can come to some kind of agreement as you know i could move down to your little town in alabama or you move to my you could move to my town in, in the woods in the northwest and you could you could get along, right? 
Yeah, I mean, we're you know, we're still standing on some type of common ground. We have some right, in common. Yeah. but 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 when we're you got literal crazy. Satan, Satanists running around saying, "No, I have to kill babies as part of my religion," and I go, "Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I'm not. I ain't go for that. <laughs> no can do, sweetheart. Nope. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll pass on that one. Your your, uh, your sacred right will be demolished. That. Yes, we are coming yeah. for your abortion. Yeah, that's right, and and. Um, and never the twain shall meet, right? We're we're not dealing with people that we could just, you know, like oh, we we can, you know, we, we got different different ideas about predestination or what the elect exactly means or how to interpret this particular passage of the book of James or what have you, right? You know, we all still agree on the necessity of the, you know, the necessity of baptism and then the Trinity and a few a whole bunch of other stuff that's actually pretty important. Doctrine of God. But this idea that. Yeah, <laughs> right. But the idea that, that we can just get along with people that hate us, want us dead, constantly steal from us via taxes, and that and that um, that we should continue to support this system is just plain foolishness. And you know, and, and in addition, in addition to being deeply unsatisfying on a personal level, and uh, you know, and just expensive and all kinds of other stuff. So you know, I would I would just tell the people out there like, um, it. it Live like the way your Christian ancestors lived, and you'd be surprised at how much happier you'll be, how much better you'll be. You know, um, I'm a great admirer of the First Brigade of Stonewall Jackson's army. I think they were the finest men to ever put on a uniform. And every one of those men, yeah, they, they train a lot. General Jackson drove them real, real hard. Uh, but you look into their lives, and there was a, a base layer put in by, you know, they were mountain people from what's now Western Virginia and and uh, West Virginia. And they walked everywhere. They walked everywhere. They, a lot of them were too poor to afford much in the way of horses. They might have had a mule or two for plowing or something, maybe a milk cow. But those fellows walked up and down all them hills, all over the Blue Ridge and all over the, all over the Appalachians. And uh, just as a matter of course, right? And it wasn't, yeah, that was General Jackson's training uh, vital to him. Yeah, but if there hadn't been that base layer where they just walked 10 miles a day as a matter of course, right? They wouldn't have been able to be that foot cavalry that, that was that performed so amazing in the war between the states. And uh, I'm not saying that, that something like that is coming again or anything like that. But, you know, if you live like your great-great-granddad, you got a chance to be more like your great-granddad than... than, than and I would suggest that that rather than um, emulate, you know, celebrities or uh, whoever else's uh, sports stars or actors or anything else like that that's, that's available now, you're much better off personally and spiritually and whatever else. Uh, you know, emulating our ancestors who were were better men than we are, and uh, you know that includes living like them. Living closer together. 
most people have like these these really extravagant LARPs. Well, I just LARP as my as my grandfather. You know, <laughs> he was a he was a he was a good down to earth type man and huge Wallace fan. Um, but thankfully, my grandfather passed uh, before Wallace was shot because he'd probably be out there looking to kill the man that did it. Um, but anyways, uh, we're we're like right at. We're over two hours, aren't we? Yeah, we're at two hours, 15 minutes. Okay, cool. And close us out. So is there anything you want to add? Where can people find you? Or do I just you on my Telegram channel. Nope, nope. Nothing else to plug at the moment. Uh, I want to say thank you to, for having me on. I enjoy your program. Thank so. you for coming on. Yeah, man. It, this was good. And I, I'm I'm going to try to finish out the rest of that book. Uh, I've, I've, I've got too many books on my reading list and... I'm, oh, it's terrible, man. Yeah. So the, the, <laughs> every every time I like I'll listen to something, and go, oh man, I got to get that book, and then yeah, for, listen you know, to three shows, three shows, problems, and... right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, but you know, man, I, it's this was this was good stuff, and I I, I think um um I think this is a good. I, I I would recommend people reading the book, at least you know, getting or reading the book, and 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 digging into that just to. Uh, understand kind of the direction, uh, not the direction, uh, kind of the language that we're trying to speak in, because it, it's a, it's a nuts and bolts way of looking at the Christian communities that we've been talking about for a little while. So, um, yeah, man, I'm glad to have you on, and uh, uh, thanks for, thanks for the conversation. Well, thank you, thank you, gentlemen. Have a good night, and God bless you. You too, brother. And God, God save the South. Amen. Amen. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening in on our podcast. If you like what you hear, please share and comment wherever you're listening to it. And check out our Gab page at Dixie Polis Podcast. If you want to contact us, please send an email to DixiePolis at ProtonMail.com or send us a message on Gab. If you like the music we're playing, hang out a little while and let the song finish. It's Wayfaring Stranger by Southern Raised, and you can listen to them on YouTube or go to their website at southernraisedbluegrass.com. God bless y'all. I know dark clouds will gather around me. I know my way is rough and steep, but beauteous fear Yeah.